Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. It's great to be here. I've been missing for the last two weeks. I was preaching in another church and then I went down uh, to Hampshire to see uh, my grandchildren uh, last week. So, uh, but I've heard great things have been happening here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's so encouraging when you go away that, you know, you know uh, things are happening still. And I, I know we had some great news that Josh is going to be our campus pastor. Wow, fantastic. We are right behind you, Josh. We really are. It's so exciting. I, I really believe that we stand on the, on the doorway of something exciting in 2019. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's February already. I mean, what happened to that 21 days of prayer and fasting? It seemed to go so quick. What happened to 2018? It just flies by. But I believe we stand on the threshold of God doing something amazing in 2019. I believe, I think we're going to see churches explode. Lost people being saved. Hurt and broken people coming to an understanding of who they are in Christ. Because I believe that God is looking for a people who understand who he is. I believe that we're going to see some fantastic things in 2019. I really do. You know, in the Old Testament... God used to sit in the Holy of Holies, a tent. He used to sit on the Ark of the Covenant, a box covered in gold, with two golden cherubs with arms outstretched. And in the box, it reminded people of God's protection and God's provision and God's presence, because there were the Ten Commandments there. There was a jar of manna, and there was Aaron's rod that budded. And God's presence used to sit there. It used to land there. And only certain people could go in. Only the high high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And when he went inside, they had a a, a rope tied around his ankle. Because if he died, nobody else could go in. So they had to drag him out. Because God is a holy God. And we know, I believe, that God wants a people. He knows that he can land his presence again. And we know that Jesus Christ, when he went to that cross and he died and three days later was resurrected again, we know that now we have free access to the presence of God. We know that the, that the curtain of the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. It wasn't a man thing. This was a God thing. God saying, I'm going to take away the barrier of my presence from everyone. So we know that if we know Jesus Christ... We can have access to the living God. But in a sense, I really believe he's looking for a people, collective people, who understand who they are in God, who understand their true identity so he can land his grace and favour like we've never seen before. People who are united, united in passion. We are starting a new season of teachings about identity. We sing that great song. I love it. I am who you say I am. And these verses are so true. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. If only we could understand and get in our hearts and our minds the power there is in those words. Yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. 
Let's read this uh, verse. This is a key verse that we're going to be looking at from the message version of the Bible. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 15 and 17, and it says this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and child, children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. I am who you say I am. Many people these days get confused about identity. I'm not even going to go and start talking about gender issues. I haven't got time this morning. But I really believe there is a confusion about our identity. And I know that because I was a person that was confused about my identity. Before I became a Christian, I didn't know who I was. Great confusion about identity. Did you hear the story? about the 45-year-old lady who suffered a heart attack. And she was rushed into the hospital in an ambulance and she got onto the operating theatre table. And for a moment she died. And she went to the pearly gates and she saw Jesus there and she said, Jesus, I'm, I'm only 45, is it, is it my time? And he says, no, you've got another 35 years, six months, two weeks, four hours to live. And then she wakes up in, a hotel, in the hospital bed. And the operation that she's had on her heart has been a success. So she thinks, wow, I've got 35 years to make the most of my life. So whilst I'm in hospital, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a facelift. I'm going to have a facelift. And I'm going to have the liposuction on my bingo wings. And I'm going to uh, have a tummy tuck. And I'm going to have certain enhancements on other parts of my body. And, and she has her hair dyed. And she has her teeth straightened and whitened. And she has her nails done. And about two months later, she's due to leave the hospital. And she stands in front of the mirror and thought, right, that's it. The rest of my life, I'm going to live it. She walks out of hospital and gets knocked down by an ambulance. Dead. Well, you can imagine she wasn't too pleased. So she rushes up to the pearly gates and sees Jesus. And said, Jesus, I thought you said I've got 35 years left of my life. And Jesus looked at her up and down and said, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry I didn't recognise you. (laughs) You see, identity, identity is not about what you look like or what you do. Let me share a personal story. I met Liz when we were 11 years old. We went to the same school and she used to sit next to me in the maths class. (laughs) And uh, I was good at maths. I got grade A. Liz was not so good at maths. In fact, my mum got quite worried one day because I used to go round with all little round bruises on my arm where she used to poke me with a pencil saying, Paul, what's answer to number three? In fact, we got caught cheating once because I put, I do not know the answer to number four on the paper. And Liz put, neither do I. But, but we started courting when we were 15. We were engaged at 18. We were married at 20. When our first child at 21, I was in the police. I was a police officer. I've got to say, I wasn't a good, a good husband. 
I'm going to stand here and sadness in my heart say I wasn't a good father. You see, whilst I was in the police, I had a number of affairs. I'm not here to glory in my shame, but I want to give glory to God because he changed me. Because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my identity. I had a number of affairs while Liz was at home, making a lovely home, looking after my son. And I started working with a guy called Dave. And Dave was a Christian. He went to St. Peter's, St. Paul's Church in Mansfield here. And there was something different about him. I didn't know what it was, but it intrigued me. It also annoyed me. And we used to have some really, on my behalf, aggressive conversations about church. <laughs> I said, church? Well, it's just people on a Sunday get all on the best tog, don't they? And then they do whatever they want on a Monday. It's full of hypocrites, full of hypocrites. And he turned around to me and said, well, you should come along, you'd fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know I was in the battle. And Dave was praying for me. He'd been praying for me for two years. I didn't know this. He'd been praying for me for two years. He told me later. And one night I said to him, Dave, I'm, uh, I'm going out to see my girlfriend tonight. Can I tell Liz if she asks, I'm playing snooker with you? And he said, no. If she asks me where you're going, I will tell her the truth. You need to stop messing about with your life. You need to sort yourself out. Come to church. Oh. I was so angry with him. I was so annoyed. I said, what kind of friend are you? And he looked at me straight in the face and said, the best friend you'll ever have at this time. And I was so angry because I knew he was right. God was doing something in my heart. But I didn't know what. I used to look at myself in the mirror. How did I become a liar and a cheater and an adulterer? I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know my identity. And things came to a head because one, one week I had to go on a six-week residential course and I fell in lust again. On well, this time it was quite serious. And I used to come home at the weekend. I used to treat Liz horrible. Horrible. Because I wanted her to confront me. Because <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to actually confess what I was doing. So she did confront me. She said, what's going on? And so I admitted I was having an affair and I was leaving her. So I went home to, to my parents to find out that my dad had just been diagnosed with stomach cancer and that had six months to live. There was nothing they could do for him. And my world was just crumbling before my eyes. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I should do. And I went into a dark, dark place. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't know which way to turn. But Dave... My mate, he was there, still praying for me, still giving me sound advice. I got so low, and if you've never been to a dark, dark place, it's hard to understand, but I can remember driving up Harlowwood Hill one night, 60, 70 mile an hour, this voice in my head saying, go faster, go faster, then turn into the trees. All you have to do is just turn into the trees and all your troubles will be over. But I didn't, I went home. And I laid on my bed that I'd had since I was 10 years old in my mum's house. My dad was still in hospital. And I was tossing and turning, all these thoughts racing in my head. When all of a sudden I heard these words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door and invite me in, I will eat with you and you will eat with me. And I just knew that this was God. 
And I said, God, I don't know if you're real or not. But if this is you, then I'm opening my life up to you because you can't make a worse job of it than I've done. And for the first time, for weeks, for months, I slept. I felt so peaceful. And I just knew that something could happen inside me. The next morning I wakes up and I go to my home, knocks on my door, because Liz had changed the keys. <laughs> and she opened the door and says, yes. I said, Liz, I don't know if you'll ever, ever be able to forgive me. I am so, so sorry. But something happened to me last night. I had an encounter with God. These words came into my head and I said, behold, I stand at the door. And she burst into tears. I mean, sobbing her heart out. Really retching, heartfelt sobs. I said, what's the matter? She said, you better come in. Of course, God spoke those words into my life yesterday as well. And I've given my life to God. So we both went into the house. I phoned Dave up, my mate, and said, Dave, are you there, mate? He says, yeah. I says, I think I've become a Christian. Dave? Dave? I think he'd fainted. (laughs) Two years he'd been praying for me. And he took us to St. Peter's and St. Paul's Church and we started reading the Word of God together. Yeah. This battered book <laughs> held together with parcel tape and tape, Words underlined. Words circled. Notes in the margin. This book changed our lives. Yeah. This book has got power. It pulsates with power. This book is not just cosmetic. This book is deep, open heart surgery. If you want to know your identity, get into this book. This book is alive. And we began to read this. We began to meditate on it. We read it every morning. I can't remember many days where we've not read it together. This book changes you from the inside out. It changes your attitude. Whether you've got a big nose or a small nose, whether you think you're too big or too tall, whether you think you're too fat or too thin, whether you think you're clever or stupid, whether you're an alcoholic or drug addict, whether you've been to prison or live in a palace, that is not your identity. You find your identity in the Word of God. God's word, it transforms your way of thinking. It changes the way you behave. It replaces uncertainty with a firm, sure foundation. It changes the, I don't know who I am, into, I am who you say I am. That's the power of the word of God. And Liz and I began to read this book together, and separately, and we began to understand that God is a father. Is a gracious father. He's also a righteous judge who is faithful in all, all his ways. He is for us, not against us. And as we read his word, he spoke to us both about who we really are. Romans 8, we read it earlier. God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. I was once known as Paul the policeman, but that wasn't my identity. That was just the job I did. I was known as Paul the father, but that wasn't my identity. I was just living with somebody who was my wife. I was also known as Paul the father, but that wasn't my identity. 
So I wasn't a very good father, sadly. To my shame, we have a standing joke in our family. And it's called Frosty the Snowman. And when my little Sarah was just a few years old, I used to go up and read a bedtime story. Whilst Liz was washing the dinner pots and getting the house sorted, I used to go and read the story. And of course, I wanted to watch television. So I used to read Frosty the Snowman because it was only eight pages long. The trouble was, Sarah knew it off by heart. So I'd start reading Frosty the Snowman and try and miss a page out. And she'd shout down, Mom! Dad's reading Frosty the Snowman again and he's missing pages out. <laughs> so suddenly it's become a standing joke in our house. That if ever time I don't engage, I'm not really there with the family. They just say, Frosty the Snowman. It breaks my heart. Because if only I could turn back the clock, if only I could have read the word of God to my children, if only I had the time to do that again, I'd sit down with my children, I'd read them the word, the living word of God. Oh, it changes people. And I was a Christian at that time. I knew I'd been saved. I was going to church. But like many new Christians, I had one foot in church... And one foot in the world. Because I didn't know my true identity yet. You see, you can be saved and go to heaven. But whilst you're living on this earth, unless you get to find out your true identity, you'll always be one foot in and one foot out. You're still saved, you're still going to church. But when you know your true identity, oh, when you can say, yes, I am who you say I am. You know, I could stand here for the next half hour, read scripture after scripture about who God says we are. John 1.12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians 5.15, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Colossians 2.9 For Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Matthew 5.48 In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others and the way God lives towards you. And listen to this one. I could go on for hours speaking about what God says we are. This is from 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 8. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up with the wrong kind of ingredient. The Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal, and we are the unraised bread part of the feast. So let's live out our part in the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flatbread. Simple, genuine, unpretentious. I love that verse. There's so many more verses like that. But that verse reminds me of a man called Daniel in the Bible. Daniel was a man who knew his identity. Daniel was a young man when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem. Daniel, with three friends who were later named Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, were taken into captivity and basically as slaves. But that wasn't Daniel's identity. They were trained to be in leadership positions in the government. But that wasn't Daniel's identity. 
If you know the story about Daniel, Daniel could interpret dreams, but that wasn't his identity. The book of Daniel, chapter 2, tells how Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel had finished interpreting the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face in awe before Daniel. He ordered the offering of sacrifices and burning of incense in Daniel's honor. And he said these words to Daniel. This is the king. Your God is beyond question the God of all gods, the master of all kings, and he solves all mysteries. I know because you've solved this mystery. He promoted Daniel to a high position in the kingdom. Daniel was a man who changed the circumstances he found himself in. The spiritual atmosphere was different around Daniel because he knew God and he knew his identity was only found in God. In Daniel chapter 3, the book tells how a 90 feet high and 9 foot thick statue was built of King Nebuchadnezzar in gold. And a royal decree went out that as soon as the band struck up, everyone was to fall on their knees and worship the gold statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if they failed to do so, they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Many of you will know the story. For those that don't, the story says that the band strikes up. Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego do not fall on their knees to worship this golden statue. And King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's so angry with them. He gets them and he says, right, heat up the furnace seven times hotter than normal. You're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. And Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego says, that may be the case. But we know our God. And we trust our God. And if we go through the fiery furnace, through the fiery furnace and die, so be it. And if God saves us, so be it. So they get the guards. And they walk into the fiery furnace. And it is so hot that the gods perish. They burn. But Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego walk round in the flames. And they are joined in the flames by God. King Nebuchadnezzar sees this. And as they cause them out of the flames, they come out not singed at all. Don't even smell of smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar says this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore I issued this decree. Anyone, anywhere, of any race, colour or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, will be stripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses torn down. There's never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. They knew God. They also knew their identity in God. They were not afraid of the fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 6, when King Darius ruled Babylon, a decree went out for the next 30 days, everyone should pray and worship King Darius. But Daniel refused. And again, if you know the story, he was thrown into the den of lions. And the next morning, Daniel came out of the lion's den untouched and King Darius proclaimed this. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God. 
world without end. His kingdom never fails. His rule continues eternally. He is a saviour and rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. These are kings who rule nations, have suddenly become aware of the identity of Daniel's God, of the identity of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego's God. These young men changed the spiritual atmosphere and the culture of where they were. Daniel knew who God was, trusted him, regardless of the terrible, frightening circumstances he faced. Daniel knew God, trusted God. He lived out in this captive land, did his best as flatbread, (laughs) not puffed up by ego, not tripping over his bottom lip, sulking because of his circumstances, but Daniel did the best work he could do, simple, genuine, unpretentious. Daniel changed attitude. He changed the culture around him simply because he knew his identity in God. Time's nearly beaten me. I could talk much longer about the identity of God. I don't know if you've ever seen the statue of King David that was carved by Michelangelo. I don't know if we've got a photograph of it. We might have it here. It is described as a masterpiece. It is almost flawless. It took years, three years of Michelangelo to do this. And the story I've heard, I only heard this story the other day, that Michelangelo used to work in a studio with other sculptors. And one sculptor started a piece of work on a block of marble that cut too deep into it. So he couldn't use it. So he pulled it out of his workplace and left it in the courtyard. And it was there for months and months, this flawed piece of marble, this useless piece of marble. And Michelangelo used to walk into his studio and see this marble and stop one day and looked at it. He could see something inside it. And over the weeks and months, he used to stop and just see what he could see in this flawed, cast-off, discarded piece of marble. And he began to picture David. So he takes it into his workshop. And he draws something out of this flawed piece that still stands today. Remarkable. Let me tell you, God sees something in you. You may feel that you've been flawed. You may feel marred. You may feel that you've been discarded, that you've been cast out, that people have told you you will never account to anything. But God sees you differently. God sees something in you that is beautiful. God sees something in you that is so worthy. How do we find out what God sees? This is the only way we're going to find out our true identity. When we get into the word of God. I'm going to read one last piece of scripture. I just don't want you to read it and forget about it. I want want you to take this home. I want you to, as it were, marinate your mind in this scripture that's going to come up in a minute. You know when you marinate a, a piece of chicken or a piece of steak... You make a marinade. You let it soak so all the flavour and the spices and the juices go into the heat, go into the meat. And then when you apply the heat of the barbecue on, the meat doesn't just shrivel up. 
but the aromas come out. The flavors come out. The spices come out. This is the same with this Word of God. Many people will face heat at times. Heat of battle in our lives. And sometimes we just shrivel up because the heat is intense. Because we've not marinated our mind in the Word of God. Take this home. Read it. Meditate over it. Keep coming back to it, saying, what are you saying to me, God? I know you spoke to Paul and Liz through your word. Do the same for me. So let's just read this word together. It's Galatians 4, 1 to 11. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free. The chains are off. We have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are free? You're no longer a slave to sin, but you are a child. And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Oh, God, may we leave this place this morning with the desire to know you more deeper, with a hunger to devour your word so that we can truly know and understand how our God-given identity through Jesus Christ So we can stand in certainty on the firm foundation of this word and speak to the demonic forces, to the father of lies, to the spiritual forces of this dark age and say, I know my identity. I am a child of God. I am who you say I am. Praise God. Let's just bow our heads.